0: Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So this uh, is our year with Jesus. We're, we're now almost halfway into our year with Jesus. And next year we'll go back into reading other uh, parts of the Bible and teaching on that. But for this year we're focusing only solely exclusively on the life of death teachings and resurrection of Jesus and so the hope is that as we spend time with Jesus that we might learn about Jesus and hopefully eventually in some ways embody the way of Jesus in the world so this is our our third week now walking through the gospel of John and uh, we're only on chapter two which is not a good sign for how long this might take us but we're going to be walking through gospel of John for the next couple of months together Uh, so you have plenty of time to read it if you haven't yet And uh, John writes a poetic book full of uh, extended metaphors and complicated stories, and I love it. I think it is beautiful, and I think you should read it. And John starts his gospel by giving this sort of long, extended, poetic metaphor that essentially he's saying Jesus is God. I'm going to tell you the story, John says. I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus, but before I get to the story, before I get to the narrative, I want you to have this foundational understanding. Here's the context. Jesus is God. And then he gets to the story. And last week, uh, we talked about how Jesus is a rabbi who calls an unlikely crew of disciples who are seeing for themselves who this Jesus is. And that's how the story starts, that Jesus calls these disciples. And then after Jesus has these disciples, these followers, Jesus and his whole crew go to a wedding together in the town of Cana and um, in this time and place in Jesus's time and place uh, weddings were a huge deal and I know we have some folks in our community that are engaged right now or maybe just had a wedding and I know your wedding feels like a huge deal and it was it was amazing or it is about to be amazing I'm sure but weddings then in the first century Jewish culture were a, like it's a big deal like bigger than our deal and I'm sorry to Break that news to you. But their reception, the, the, their wedding feast, was like multiple days long, maybe five or seven days long. And they didn't just invite their friends and family, they had essentially invited everyone they could get word to. So it would be everyone in their village or town, and then like pretty much everyone in all the surrounding villages in town. So really, really anyone that they could get word to were invited. And so Uh, that's why Jesus and all of his disciples, and in this story, we see that his mom was also invited. So it's just like everyone is invited, right? It's not just family and friends of the people getting married. It's just everyone is invited to the wedding feast. But this wedding isn't just a feast. It's also a miracle. And this is what happens in John chapter two. We're going to read quite a few verses. So just stay with me. This is what it says, starting in verse one. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But if you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I love this story. It's Jesus's first miracle. It's his first recorded miracle in all of the Gospels. And it has all of the makings of a good story. You've got Jesus's mom, like really butting into the whole thing, which I love. She's being a proud mom. Um, She just turns to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, there's no more wine. She doesn't ask him to do anything. She just knows what he's capable of. And you can just imagine her being like, hey, don't know if you saw, but there's no more wine. And Jesus says, hey, uh, mom, why are you involving me in this? Not my problem. It's not my time yet. Right? Jesus is saying, I'm not sure if it's my time to show everyone my divine power. Maybe um, creating more wine isn't the best way to start. But instead of just accepting that, Jesus' mom turns to the folks who are working the party and says, um, just do whatever he tells you. Implying he's about to tell you to do something. Right? She she doesn't take Jesus's no for an answer. She just kind of bypasses him. It's uh, perfect mom behavior, and I love the reminder of the humanity of Jesus and the human relationships that he's working and interacting within. And then you have Jesus using these massive stone jars to turn this water into wine. And these stone jars were used. John tells us they were used for Jewish ceremonial washing. So it's it's kind of like using a baptismal font to turn water into wine. Um, These are what uh, all or any observant Jews would use for ritual cleansing, so to cleanse themselves before they go to the temple to make their sacrifices. And Jesus uses these kind of religious monuments as a way to communicate that God is doing a new thing through and within that old system. And in some ways, it's kind of sacrilegious, to use those things that people think of so highly to turn water into wine. And in some ways, it's a way to honor that old system, to bring about something new. It's, It's both at the same time. And then Jesus does the thing. Jesus turns water into wine, and not a little bit of water into wine, like a lot, so this is probably like, if you just do the math on it, it's maybe 150 gallons of water turned into wine. And 150 gallons of wine is a lot. That's like 725 bottles of wine. I can do math. Uh, it's 725 bottles of wine. And that's a lot of wine. But they needed it. Right? Remember that the whole village is invited. Right? There, there are hundreds and hundreds of people for multiple days. And running out of wine... Uh, would not just have been inconvenient it would have been kind of a social disaster it was a disgrace for the family and in this in this culture it's an it's an honor shame society so to participate in this wedding feast and, and to throw this at, for these families that was a, a thing of honor but if it goes well then it's a real thing of shame and so if the wine would have actually run out. Then the family would have had to live with the shame for a a really long time, right? The bride and groom might regard it as bringing bad luck on their married life, right? So Jesus doesn't just save the party. He also saves this family from a lot of shame. And then at the end of the story, John says that this is the first of the signs that Jesus performed, right? The, The miracles that Jesus is going to perform Uh, throughout this narrative. And the point of the signs, the miracles that Jesus performs, as N.T. Wright says, is that these miracles are moments when heaven and earth intersect. And these observant Jews who are watching, they believed that that intersection only happened inside of the temple, mostly. And so in all of these signs and miracles that Jesus performs, and starting here in John chapter 2, Jesus is showing that he is divine, that he is the walking intersection of heaven and earth, that he is powerful. And so, of course, as John says, his disciples believed in him. Because if you saw someone do that kind of miracle, you would believe in them. It's a great story, and it has a lot of good news. And it has better news than just, um, Jesus is cool if we drink wine. That's what I thought. When I was an eighth grader, I was like, I guess wine is cool. Like, uh, my parents don't have to hide their wine in the garage fridge anymore. But here's the headline from the story. God only ever shows up with joy and celebration, never judgment or condemnation. I'll say it again. God only ever shows up with joy and celebration, never judgment or condemnation. Listen, at this party, at this wedding feast, somebody made a mistake. Either they didn't bring enough wine, or there were a few people, or a few dozen people, who drank way too much wine. But somebody made a mistake. And Jesus doesn't condemn the planners or the partiers. There is no condemnation in the story. There is just celebration. And there's no judgment. Jesus just brings joy. And it's enough for everyone. And listen, life is... Your life, my life, life isn't always overflowing wine and never-ending parties. I get that. It's just true. Life is hard. Life is not just overflowing wine and never-ending parties. But in your life and in mine, the difficulty we face is never the judgment or condemnation of God. It doesn't matter what someone has told you. The difficulty in your life is never the judgment or condemnation of God, because when God shows up, it is always and only joy and celebration. God never shows up with judgment and condemnation. There is no fine print on the good news of Jesus. There are no qualifiers, no hidden fees. There is no bait and switch. It is only good news. God only ever shows up with joy and celebration. Only joy. Only celebration, only good news. Uh, I wonder if you uh, if you got into any weird shows during COVID. Uh, surely you did. Uh, Katie and I watched a lot of Great British Bake Off. That was not really our thing before COVID, and it really hasn't been our thing since. But we watched a lot during COVID, and uh, like a lot of other reality TV shows, uh, GBBO, GBBO, uh, has kind of like a good cop bad cop thing with the judges right there's like a nice job a nice judge who's like cool and kind of even and then there's Paul Hollywood and maybe you know about Paul Hollywood and he's like the mean judge and he's constantly telling the contestants that they have soggy bottoms and their bread is underproved and I don't know what that even, I don't know what that means but it's really intense and he's super mean and the big accomplishment of the show for these bakers is um, if Paul Hollywood gives you a handshake. That's like the big accomplishment. That's the big moment. That Paul Hollywood tastes your weird, dry British dessert. And then if he likes it, he reaches out his hand for a handshake. And the contestants like squeal and shed real tears over a handshake. A handshake which in any other context from any other person is pretty inconsequential i shake a lot of your hands on sundays no one ever squeals or cries but i think it's such a big deal because these contestants on this silly reality show in a tent um, they're in a high critique high judgment environment right there's so much critique so much judgment that a handshake can bring them to tears and watching the show, what I realized is that if you're in a high judgment, high critique environment, a lack of critique, an absence of judgment can feel like joy. And I think this is what a lot of us have experienced in church. Maybe you have participated in or been subject to uh, religious or spiritual spaces that are very high judgment, very high critique, high condemnation, and sometimes just the absence of judgment can feel like love. But just hear me today. Joy isn't merely the absence of judgment, love isn't just the absence of condemnation. You, you, whoever you are, wherever you are, however you are, you should be celebrated. With joy and love and inclusion. There is enough wine at the party for you. And this is the God we find in Jesus. Only joy, only celebration, only love, only good news, no qualifiers or fine print. And this is how God's people are supposed to show up in the world, just like Jesus, with no judgment, no critique, only joy. And I think um, we have confused our role sometimes as just being people who aren't that judgmental. We reserve our judgments. And we confuse that as being loving in the world. And it can be easy to mistake churches that aren't that judgmental for places that are safe and inclusive. But the church, God's people, they should be only love. We should be only love. Only good news. No fine print. David Huskin said, if God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, I doubt he sent you. But just like God, when you show up, bring joy and goodness and celebration. No fine print, no qualifiers, no bait and switch. It's not just a lack of judgment that we're called to. It's joy and celebration. So I wonder, do you imagine God to be, judge- to be judgmental or joyful? condemning or celebratory how do you imagine God to be and we ask questions like this a lot because this is your theology it's a story you tell about God and it matters and I wonder if you have um, if you have an environment or relationship where you are truly celebrated with joy you have a place where you are really included really celebrated really loved Not just the absence of judgment, not just a lack of critique, where you are celebrated. And then how do you show up in the world? With condemnation or celebration? With judgment or with joy? You know, last week I told you that as a pastor, I no longer feel responsible for your beliefs. And um, there's a lot of freedom in that to say, you know, you're your own person. I trust you to make good decisions about your own beliefs. But that isn't just for pastors. Uh, You don't have to be responsible for anyone else's decisions or beliefs either. You don't even have to activate the judgment center in your brain. You can just release that. Listen, it's tiresome. It is tiresome to evaluate the morality of everyone else's decision. Just release that responsibility and start celebrating people. And next week in Houston, next Saturday is Pride. Celebrate somebody. Joy and celebration. No condemnation, no judgment. Right? We are meant to show up in the same way that Jesus did, with joy and celebration. Uh, some of you know that I really love the comedian and actor Pete Holmes. Uh, he's not super popular, but some of you listen to him now. He's like a C-list celebrity. He has a podcast where he interviews other C-list celebrities, and um, it's mostly silly, and it's sometimes spiritual, which is what I'm going for around here. And uh, in one of the episodes uh, of his podcast, Pete Holmes tells a story about a moment, like a big pivotal moment in his life where things shifted for him. And it was in his high school Spanish class, which I don't know about you, but I did not have any big pivotal moments in my high school Spanish class. But Pete was in Spanish class and he spent the entire class, um, like a lot of us probably did, uh, doodling on a scratch piece of paper. Right. So there's a whole class going on. There's a lecture and there's participation. You're supposed to be answering questions and raising your hand. People are getting called on the entire time. uh, Pete is head down on a piece of paper, doodling, drawing the entire time. And uh, the bell rings and the class is over. And as he's walking out the door, the teacher calls him up. Right. So he's trying to get out the door as fast as possible. And she says, "Uh, Mr. Holmes, can I talk to you at my desk for a second? And he walks over to her desk, and she lets everyone else leave the classroom, and she says, um, Pete, you are a really good artist. You are really gifted. That's all. And that simple moment where someone offered him celebration instead of condemnation changed his life. And I think for many of us, the idea that God is with us all the time kind of feels like the teacher calling us up to the desk. Like we have to defend ourselves to God or prove ourselves. We think God is constantly coming to scold us. That God is disappointed. But instead, God shows up in Jesus and God celebrates with love and joy and inclusion. God celebrates you. No judgment, no condemnation. This is the God we find in Jesus. Only joy only celebration only love only good news no qualifiers no fine print and so gather this is my prayer for us today release all the judgment from your body god is not condemning you you do not need to condemn yourself or condemn anyone else today be celebrated And be free. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.